an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break. And consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Zach trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Sexton inside. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cavs Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects. And connecting with me now, live on Zoom, is not my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. He's bailing. He's not here to stick around the tough times when Darius Garland is out and Karis LeVert is out. Instead, I am joined by one of the co-hosts of the greatest of all talk podcasts, the only podcast that I actually pay for, Andrew Sharp. Andrew, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to talk to you, man. It's good to be here. It feels long overdue. A big year for our Cavaliers. And I do feel bad because like a month or two back, this would have been more of a celebration. I feel like it's sort of an anxious time for the Cavs right now. I mean, more than anything, I think we can call this like a prayer circle for Darius Garland's lower back and the nerve endings in there. I don't know if you have any incense we can light, but I mean, watching the game Saturday night really underscored how valuable he is because man, oh man, you remove him from the equation. That is a rough watch and there are good players, but man, they needed some creation. Uh, apparently the Tuesday practice that the Cavs had was just a, a brutal one for them. Uh, it, both losing Karis LeVert with a rolled ankle. And I, I guess Garland must have re-aggravated it because he looked fine heading into the all-star break and on, on all-star weekend. And maybe this was just kind of two games that the Cavs felt, Hey, we can, we can get Garland some rest. Some let's, let, let's try to get him right because we, we have Charlotte, Philadelphia, Toronto later in the week, and, and we need him to be right for those games. But you're right. It, it completely changed the complexion of this matchup. And 
I tried to get you on the podcast earlier this year and you suggested, hey, we'll do it after a Wizards game. And given the way both these teams started, you would have thought that, hey, this is like an important game. This has playing implications. And not only did the Wizards go off the rail, this is a very, very different Cavs team than uh, even a week ago. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty wild. The Wizards, even when they were starting hot, I wasn't super confident that they were going to be able to to sustain that pace. Um, The Cavs have kept it together for almost the entire season. And it's unfortunate because in most years, the East is so weak, like past the sixth seed. You Mm -hmm. can basically do whatever you want and like you're going to make the playoffs. Um, But now, I mean, it's a pretty... like competitive field out there and uh (laughs) i don't know i mean they really have to be careful and can't afford to drop too many more games because you know the celtics are coming and and even teams like the nets are sort of lurking there Mm -hmm. and all these teams are separated by like two or three games right now so the Cavs are gonna have to work their asses off to make this to to at least like keep their foothold in the middle of the conference and, and keep this uh, season a success. As a, uh, a Cavs believer and a member of, of Garland Island, are, are you concerned about them falling into the plan? Cause it is definitely like hit my radar. I I'm at a kind of a, a level of somewhat concern or, or I at least acknowledge it as a realistic possibility, but I haven't gotten into the same kind of rabbit hole spirals yet. I, I know Carter has, and, and he's been messaging me for some therapy uh, uh, late at night, but uh, I, I'm not <laughs> quite there yet. Where, where are you at? Well, I'm not there yet either. And it's funny, even as I was like explaining how, you know, you got to keep that foothold and make this season successful. Like this season is a success regardless of whether they end up in the play in or not. I think on some level it's house money, obviously making the Karis Levert deal sort of puts pressure on them to accomplish things this season. But even if they end up in the play in, I I don't think that's a reflection on like what the team ceiling is going forward and even what they've accomplished this year. I mean, the reality is there are like eight really good teams in the East and you can even throw in a team like the Hawks who can be really good on any given night. And um, I, I just I wouldn't be that like depressed if all of it nets out to them having a one and out play in situation, because the main thing is like you got proof of concept with Garland this year with Mobley and even with Mobley next to Jared Allen, like there are so many positives coming out of this season that at the end of the day, if it ends with them in eighth place and getting bounced from the playoffs without ever actually playing in a series, like mm-hmm. that's the worst case scenario. And there's still a lot of reason to be pumped after that season. Yeah, n- not to channel Maynard Gulliver because Ben is a lunatic, but I- I've been like trying to stay in the present here. And like this is a big thing, both with basketball and life over the pandemic. I feel like I'm just trying to deal with whatever's directly ahead of me. And I'm uh-huh. just not going into that spiral of what's going to happen if they like slide, if there's like a six, seven game losing streak and, and all of a sudden they're in the play in. And then you don't have the cushion when you're going into these games against Philadelphia and Toronto and Chicago. To me, 
if they are resting guys and they lose some games and then all of a sudden they don't have that cushion going into those games, those are going to be playoff-like environments down the stretch where Garland, Okoro, Levert, Allen, Mobley, all these guys are, are going to be playing the most meaningful basketball of their career. And win, lose, or draw, I, I think that's going to be very valuable experience for them. And realistically, looking at 22 games left, like the other teams behind them have difficult schedules too. Like Tor Toronto is about to play a back-to-back -back against Brooklyn. Uh, that's going to get some losses in the mix in, in the, for those playing teams. Uh, you have those head-to-head -head games, and um, it would certainly be disappointing. But at the same time, I'm not going to cross that bridge until that bridge is actually ahead of me. I'm. I, it, it sucks. It, it's frustrating in the moment. But my big thing is, and if I wanted to go full like Cavs Andy Lou here, I'd be pushing the Garland MVP campaign right now. This is what they look like <laughs> without Darius Garland. Uh, it, it's night and day difference. They're a contender with them. They're uh, a lot of team without them, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that's true. I think this team and the guys that they have, the personnel they have right now, can play better than they have. They beat Charlotte with less than they had uh, because they didn't have Lavert and, and Garland in that game. They didn't have Lowry either, who has made a big difference these last two games. To me, the biggest difference is Jetty was bad against the Pistons. He's good against the Wizards. Uh, Jared Allen against the Pistons, like 12 and 9 versus uh, the 18 and 14 performance he put up against Washington. Kevin Love is a combined 2 of 15 over his last two games. If you're getting six men of the year, Kevin Love, that is a totally different conversation than the Kevin Love that they've had the, the last couple of games here. Yeah, I mean, my issue is just watching them in the first half against the Wizards last night. They would have certain possessions where I'd be like, well, I don't know how the hell you're supposed to score if you have <laughs> nobody who can get it to Jared Allen and nobody who could get it to Mobley. And and it's a credit to Garland. He makes those pick and rolls look so easy and he's so creative and uh, he's a threat with his little floater, which I love. And and it's all been more effective than it probably should be when you look at the team on paper, mm -hmm. in part because the bigs have been really great playing off each other. And Garland is like borderline perfect as a, as a creator at the center of everything. And I think, um, you know, guys like Dean Wade and Jetty and Okoro, they are solid, but they are not guys who are, I would say playoff caliber, like role players. Mm -hmm. um, they're, they're not and, the straw that stirs the drink, right? Like they, they don't compromise the defense a whole lot. Yeah. And, and even as like supporting characters, like they're just not good enough. And I don't think that they're going to be like long-term pieces. I mean, Okoro, you watch him more often than <clears throat> I do, but he's <laughs> someone I've tried to get excited about at like several different junctures and there's so many Cavs games where I'm just like, well, so what does this guy actually do? And mm -hmm. he's a solid defensive player, but like, I'm just not really sure that he's like a starting caliber player ever. Um, and right now, when you remove like Rondo and Garland, like they kind of need him to do a lot and they're counting on Brandon Goodwin to do a lot. So it's yeah. a little dicey. I find Okoro to be one of the more kind of confusing players to evaluate. Like I, I think in a perfect world or um, e even a healthy situation for the Cavs, I don't think he would be starting. I, I mean, there's a reason why they started the year with Sexton at the shooting guard position. You needed yeah. a little more ball handling. You needed some juice offensively. But uh, Okoro, like he's 
a bit of a lineup completer. Like uh, I know basketball index has him as one of the better on ball defenders in the league, but the offense is just such a low volume where he very rarely has 10 field goal attempts in a game. Um, There's been opportunities for him to initiate at times, but the the handle just isn't there yet. It's nice to see that the the shooting splits have improved from his rookie year, going from 42% from the floor to 47%, going from 30 or 29% from three to 33%. But it's still at such a low volume that it's hard to feel great about that. Like you, you still kind of feel like there's some noise and it, He's just, I, I don't know what to make of him because I, I think his floor is high. I think he can be a rotation player just because his defense is that good. But I don't necessarily see the offensive upside that had Larry Nance uh, b- before this season saying that he felt like he had the highest ceiling out of any of the Cavs core. Like to me, yeah. I, I just don't really see that kind of upside with him, a- at least at this point. But he, he is a hard worker. He He's someone that uh, seems to relish doing the little things. It's just when you have all of these guards out and you need a little more juice, you'd like to see him be a little less stagnant. You'd like to see him contribute in other ways that he just hasn't to this point in his career. Yeah. Well, and, and this is like, because I believe in Garland and because I believe in Mobley, I I really think like the, the Cavs over the next five to seven years have uh, as high a ceiling as anyone in the league. And that's why, like if they do end up in the play in game, my attitude as a Wizards fan is like, who gives a shit? Like I would trade places <laughs> in a heartbeat with the Cavs over the next five years. Like, what does it matter? Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that one of the challenges going forward is going to be like accurate self-appraisal and, and being really honest about how many of these guys do you see as like long-term fits and um, where do we need to improve? And I think, you do like on the wings they they just have to figure out ways to acquire like one or two more pieces that can really fit. They, next they to need these a real guys. small forward at some yeah. point. This team needs a real small forward. And, and Okoro like could maybe be that guy, but I'm just not quite sold. Um, and, and Garland, I mean, you've been watching him every single game. I'm curious, like how worried are you about the back? Because even before he went out, I would see him look kind of gimpy for like the month beforehand. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually glad that he's resting because it just, it seemed like something wasn't right there. Um, but like, what are you hearing in terms of long-term prognosis? Yeah. I, I mean, um, New Cavs general manager Mike Gainsey uh, was on the radio talking about it where it's frustrating. I mean, he suffered it against in that game against the Warriors, clearly didn't look right, uh, was playing through some pain, had, had those good games against Sacramento where he wasn't really taking a shot, but he had a bunch of assists, got his first triple-double against Utah. Um, but when you're dealing with that the strain and the, that kind of a, like a minor back injury, it's just something that can feel good some days and flare up other days. Mm-hmm. And like it's it's frustrating because that's not the kind of thing that you can realistically get the kind of rest you need in season to fix that. But it's nothing structural. So I, I feel good from that perspective. But it is disappointing that it's gone on for as long as it has, where this is just probably going to be a bit of a nagging thing for the rest of the season, where uh, there will be games where he feels great and other games where, OK, uh, had a practice where it just happened to flare up and we're going to need to rest you here or we're going to have to 
pick our spots when to rest you. So it's not something that concerns me long term, but it, it definitely impacts the way I view this season and the upside that they can have this year. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's if you're looking at historical omens, uh, Cavs point guard getting injured against Golden State usually leads to good things down the road. So uh, <laughs> I, I've at least got that in my back pocket. Oh, man. Well, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Uh, back injuries freak me out because that that's one of the only areas on the body where like doctors are still basically guessing like brain injuries <laughs> and and backs. They're just like, well, try this. Try this. I don't yeah. know. And like surgery is usually a bad idea. So mm-hmm. um, he, he did rule that out, though, at least on the radio. So this isn't something that like there's a possibility that it will require an operation like this is just strictly kind of a, a rest and treatment thing. And uh, they're they're just kind of being cautious. And I, I think like personally, it's frustrating to drop that game against Detroit. But I, it makes sense to me to rest him against Detroit and Washington. Like those are yeah. games that they should win. And if they don't play up to the level that they should in those games and they make their path the rest of the way more difficult, that's something you can learn from, right? Like that, hey, we need to bring a more consistent level of play to the table. We need to find ways to play without Garland, whether that means, okay, in those spots, we're going to have Mobley initiate a little more and and we're going to learn how to play off of him out of the high post, have him kind of do some big to big passing. Like they need to not, like, I, I think from a basketball philosophy perspective, I like teams that have guys, three, four guys that can initiate at all times. It's one of the things I really admired about the Warriors. I don't want this to be a heliocentric Harden and Houston type thing with Garland that just is a stats factory for him. I, mm-hmm. I do think that there's a value that can be found in these stretches. It's just, hey, if they don't rise to the occasion and they make their path more difficult than it needs to be, then they need to, down the stretch, go out and actually win some of those tougher games and maybe steal one or two against a contender. Yeah, well, and that's definitely the reason I'm I'm most excited about the future is Garland's ability to play off the ball and then whether it's Karis LeVert or Colin Sexton or some wing creator that doesn't exist yet, like... I think th- that is the version of the Cavs offense that is going to be scariest. And when mm-hmm. you pair it with the defense, I mean, it was wild watching like how old Neto try to get a shot off around the rim last <laughs> night. And like the, y- you know, you get past Jared Allen and then you've got Mobley on the weak side and it just looks like a goddamn nightmare for like anybody who and, and then you the got lane. larry legend out there you know just oh uh with, with his length and his shooting <laughs> okay lowry man <laughs> gotta gotta love him he, he's i will come... tell you one thing yeah. i i looked up lowry's agent's name his name is um michael Lelchitsky, uh, <laughs> and that guy deserves some kind of award for securing the bag for Lowry last year. And look, he's not terrible, but um, watching him can be awful frustrating because <laughs> I'm imagining like what this Cavs team should look like. It, it, it's remarkable, though, like even on nights where he's not hitting shots, the difference he makes 
in that three big lineup versus Mobley and Allen without him is ridiculous just because they don't have that depth at the small forward position. They don't have a guy that can actually stretch the defense. So for him to come out and hit some big shots, there was a lot of fun. I do need to ask. So we, we talked about the frustrating aspects of Okoro. There was the other side of that coin too, down the stretch in the fourth quarter where he played really, really good defense on Kuzma and it kind of slowed him down. Uh, actually, but before we get to Okoro's defense, what is the deal with Kuzma against the Cavs? What is his beef and why is he, <laughs> I looked it up. For the season he's shooting 57 57 against the Cavs and that's including a 12 point performance that he had in the second matchup like this guy has been for three games against the Cavs he has just been a human torch and I I need to know what the beef is there oh my god I'm glad you mentioned that because I don't know how many of your listeners watch like literally every Cavs game and so some people may not have watched Cavs Wizards on Saturday night maybe you had something more exciting to do with your Saturday night. I can't imagine anything better than Cavs <laughs> Wizards on a Saturday of course but for anybody who missed it Kyle Kuzma for the first three quarters was like Game six, Clay Thompson, everything he put up was cash. And I think he finished, he definitely had more than 30. I think he had like eight threes. Um, It was a career high and made threes for him. Do I know why Kyle Kuzma is constantly torching the Cavs? I don't. (laughs) Was it like borderline surreal watching him just get whatever he wanted? Uh, It was incredible. It was one of those things where like, it's the magic of the regular season is you'll just see random stuff like that. And um, <laughs> it's, they, it's almost like a Wiggins like beef because he he was uh, he was throwing shots after the, the first game where he said uh, they're, they're nothing without LeBron. And uh, he hit right. that game winning shot that uh, drove me absolutely nuts because uh, Okoro got hurt uh, the possession or two before and wasn't out there to defend. Like he, he seems to have a, a little extra fire in his belly. And, and it's, it's just such a weird random rivalry and I, I, I don't know I don't know what the root cause is, but I, I would like him to just, you know, take it easy. It's it's an eighty two game season. You you can give a B plus performance against the Cavs instead of going supernova. Oh man, I'm so grateful to him because I was watching the first quarter and thinking to myself, like, I don't know if I can make it through a full Wizards game with this roster, (laughs) but Kuzma spiced it up just enough. And then I was grateful for the fourth quarter collapse where they just forgot how to score because ultimately I'm now rooting for ping pong balls. And so Mm -hmm. like, a spirited three quarters, some fun Kuzma shot making and a loss was exactly what I was looking for from that game. And I'm happy for the Cavs, too, because, I mean, that one would have been a really tough L to swallow mm-hmm. and um, would have been sort of like an ominous sign. So, yeah, I mean, Okoro started to put it together in the second half. Lowry hitting shots like all of that was was sneaky big for the second half of this Cavs season. Yeah, and I think it certainly helped that uh, Washington went to double overtime the, the night before. You you were hoping for some tired legs. I thought Kuzma w- would be tired from the night before. And yeah, this is you're probably going to get just uh, like an ugly shooting game and the Cavs can kind of grind it out with defense and, and come away with a, a solid enough win. And they, they just managed to hit tough shots. Like even KCP hit some tough shots and Nero hit a, a, a tough shot down the stretch. And it was frustrating, but that's, 
to me, that's the other side of the coin with Okoro, where there have been games where he will just go out there and shut someone's water off and he'll make them work. Uh, the, the game against Brooklyn where, where the Cavs won, uh, Kyrie was dapping him up after the game. Like, Hey, like you defended the living hell out of me. And like, really had the the game clinching play breaking up uh a pass to harden and and getting the dunk so there are those moments where it's like okay the the defense that he brings on ball really really uh makes a big impact especially when he has the help behind him uh from mobley and allen it's just do you have enough juice around him and i i think the answer could be yes if you know, down the road, he, he uh, adds a little bit to his game offensively. If Mobley uh, continues to grow offensively, Garland gets more comfortable. Maybe you find a small forward. Uh, but at the end of the day, like in the short term, I'd probably end up going with Levert starting at, at shooting guard just because I need think they need that dribbling uh, once mm-hmm. he's healthy. And then kind of do the Sexton thing where you sub out Levert quickly. Uh, you, you have Okoro come in and have Levert run a little bit of the second unit. But I do think against the better teams, which the Cavs are going to have quite a few of those games down the stretch. I think against the better teams, you need to have multiple guys that can at least create for themselves. Like even if Levert isn't efficient, just someone that's going to compromise the de- defense makes a big difference, in my opinion. Yeah, well, and for long stretches of this season, it's been Garland doing like everything, and that doesn't seem like it's going to be sustainable. So adding Levert as just like another look you can throw at defenses and you can allow Garland to play off the ball and sort of catch his breath a little bit is a, a good idea, certainly for the short term. So are you drinking the uh, the Karis Kool-Aid, let's call it? Are you in on him as like a long-term piece or is that still a wait-and-see situation? I'm pretty wait-and-see for every player not named Garland, Allen, and Mobley. Like, I, okay. I think they're in a position where all of these guys can get minutes. I think there's the opportunity for internal competition. I don't think any of these guys really take away. Like, if they're fully healthy, I think there's plenty of minutes for Lavert, Okoro, Sexton, and Garland. I, I, th- I think that can work. I think maybe Jetty would lose some time, and maybe Lavert slides over to the three in some lineups. Like, I, I think there's some versatility there. But I don't I haven't really penciled anybody in for the long term because I need to see how Sexton looks when he comes back from injury. I need to see if Levert can stay healthy and if he can uh, blend into what the Cavs are doing. I need to see what growth a coral makes like he's a notoriously hard worker and a guy that just kind of grinds the same level of Sexton. I'm not comfortable writing a 21 year old off. Um, But in terms of who I'm penciling in, it's really just those three guys. And let's see who blossoms alongside them, who develops the good chemistry. And um, I'm kind of rooting for everybody because I I think if everybody's playing well alongside them, it opens up the possibility for a consolidation move down the road. And, And then when you're discussing who to give up, it depends on who a team values. Like some teams might value uh, Sexton over Coro or vice versa, or some teams might really value Lowry or want Jetty Osman out there uh, as, as someone coming in off the bench. Like there's a lot of directions for the Cavs to go. I just don't feel like they are in a position where they need to be rushed to make those decisions before a guy goes out and earns it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would be crazy to like pencil Karis in as like a cornerstone piece alongside Garland and Mobley. So Mm -hmm. there's no question about that. I I think the reason I ask is because like, I've just never been a Karis guy or I I was 
when he was coming into the draft and coming into the league, I was excited. And then and over then the last couple of years, yeah, <laughs> it, no, he just like, he can't stay healthy and he is so ball dominant. And I'm just not sure like the juice is worth the squeeze with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, like they needed somebody and, uh, I wasn't a big Jared Allen guy when they traded yeah. for Jared Allen and were planning to re-sign him. And I wound up looking like a complete moron at the end <laughs> of all that. So um, maybe I'm wrong about Karis too. And, you know, we'll see what it turns into. I, another question I have for you as we have our little Cavs summit here. Mm-hmm. So um, what is the best version of Evan Mobley on offense? Because I'm not sure what his game on that end is going to look like. I mean, he's like so incredible defensively that he is a cornerstone regardless and, and figures to be like an all NBA guy throughout his prime. Um, But I also, you know, it, it reminds me of Giannis where like people had Giannis as a small forward and then they were like, Oh, he's a point guard. Oh, he's a center. And they just mm-hmm. like, he was sort of figuring it out as he went. And I, I sort of seem, it seems like Mobley is doing some of that as well. And I wonder what you think as you watch him night in and night out. I think so. Part of why I was really big on adding Jared Allen is long-term or like re-signing Jared Allen is long-term. I view Evan Mobley as a power forward. Like, I, uh-huh. I think that is the the best spot to kind of preserve him to, to avoid him, uh, taking too many lumps and bruises throughout the course of a regular season. And I think it also enables him to kind of freewheel and play free safety and be like a little bit of Draymond on the defensive end where he's just everywhere, right? Disrupting guys. I think from an offensive perspective and where I see him going is a lot of creation out of the high post. Like I, I think yeah. you're going to be able to run some offense through him, have him be that outlet for Garland. Uh, they are already very effective with the the double drag with Garland Allen and Mobley. Uh, I, I think you continue to, will continue to see them build off of those kind of sets, but I, I don't necessarily think he's going to be like a go-to offensive option. I think there's going to be a lot of offense that involves him having his, the the ball in his hands at some point. But I, I do think that they're trying to build a, a more balanced offense, right? So uh, I, I don't think it's going to be like a Kevin Durant uh, in, in the future. I know that's one of his his idols and, and someone that he likes, but I, I just don't see him being that kind of guy because he, he's just so cerebral. And it's almost like a little Jokic and Marc Gasol in terms of I'm trying to be out there and make the, the best play. And I, I think the the adjustment for him is figuring out when exactly to be aggressive and when to attack. Cause I think when he gains more functional strength, uh, he, he's already shown a, a willingness to go in there and bang and put his body into guys. So I, I think yeah. his speed and his length uh, with a little bit more strength is going to make him pretty tough to to deal with. If you're closing out at the high post and he can blow by you, he can shoot over you or he can pass in those situations. Yeah, he looks super comfortable in the high post and it's a great way to use his skills as a passer. And he's got like good touch, uh, at least in that range. When I see him floating around like the three point line, he I understand why he's taking those shots and why he's trying to build out that element of his game. But it doesn't look quite as natural as he Mm -hmm. does at like the foul line or the post even like he's just he's got such great footwork and such great touch 
in close that I want to see him embrace that aspect of his game more than like turning into Anthony Davis where AD will just like float and float and float. And you're (laughs) like, dude, like you're great around the rim. Like, I don't know why you're addicted to these pull up jumpers. Um, And so that's like the version of his game that I'm rooting for. But I think it's one of the most interesting parts of watching this year's Cavs is they are sort of figuring it out as they go. And um, Mobley, like, does he have like a go-to move and and, like a a go-to version of like his offense? He doesn't yet. And it's going to be really cool to see him sort of like develop all of that. Do you, do you think that there is something that you feel like he can probably do already at this stage of his career that he's not doing yet? Like, is there something, especially in these games without Garland and Levert, is there something you'd like to see him do more? Um, In the back of my mind, I wonder whether he would have an easier time turning into like a 20 point per game score if he were just playing the five full time and Mm. the game were easier for him that way. I think the Allen thing, it kind of cuts both ways, right? Because it does make him less likely to, to wear down and break down if he's playing the four. Um, And it also sort of forces him out of his comfort zone and could help him develop like a skill set that makes him even more dangerous five years from now when he's in the middle of his prime. Um, But I also think that there are aspects of the game that would be easier if it were just him and he didn't have to worry about like finding his own little space in the defense to, uh, to score and, and dominate. But I, 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 I like the setup so much more than I thought I would. When we were coming into the season, I was like, you know what, man, Cause I like in the draft, I texted you on draft night. I was like, yo, like the Cavs got the best player in the draft. Like this is a once in a lifetime win. And when they were coming into the season, I was like, man, oh man, I don't know why they are playing those two bigs together and making Evan Mobley's life harder than it needs to be. But it's actually worked like really well. And they have a good little like two man chemistry together. So I, I am definitely going to wait and see what it turns into before I declare what Mobley needs. Yeah, because I, I think even historically, like looking at Chris Bosh or Kevin Durant, like the, those power forwards that could close at center, I, I think there's going to be times down the road where you might have Mobley close at center. I, I, I like the fact that throughout this season, they have had the second unit playing with Mobley at the five, right, where he is functionally the backup five and they stagger a little bit with Allen. Because I, I think those are really valuable opportunities for him. And uh, you look at who they have in the second unit, if they were healthy, uh, you, like you, you got some juice around, right? Like even if going into next year, it's Lavert and Sexton playing together with Love and, and Mobley and whoever they have at the small forward position, like that's two combo guards. That's two bigs that you can run offense through. Like there's a lot of ways that you can get creative with that. And, and I'm interested to kind of explore what that can be. Um, but in the meantime, like it's fun to at least have that base defense with Mobley and Allen, uh, that just like throughout the season, it's, it's so tough for teams to score on them. Uh, when Larry Markinen's out there, that somehow has worked really, really well. Uh, but I, I do think 
largely from an offensive perspective, it's such a testament to how good Garland has been that he's made that pairing work. Because you look for the season, uh, Mobley and Allen, when Garland is off the court, it's a 98.5 offensive rating. That's not great. On the court, it's 110.3, and it goes up to 114 when Lowry's out there too. So uh, th- that has worked really, really well. And I think for Garland to find ways to to get that kind of juice out of the offense before Mobley uh, kind of develops his outside game and stretches the floor a little bit more before they have uh, a proven uh, shooter at the shooting guard position instead of Isaac Okoro for the majority of this year. Like, I, I think that's a real, real feather in his cap and, and something that speaks well to the upside of this team eventually. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And and we've talked too much about Mobley and Okoro and Jared Allen. I mean, look, like at a baseline level, I'm here <laughs> to celebrate Darius Garland. And <laughs> I mean, the things that he does well for this team, I always knew that his off the dribble shooting was going to make him special or gave him the chance to be special. But what I've loved watching this season is... He's been excellent as a passer and also like excellent beyond his years at, at managing games and, and knowing sort of what the offense needs as they try to close some of these wins. And um, I mean, that just caught me like totally off guard. I just didn't see him turning the corner this quickly to becoming like a really steadying presence for this team. And uh, I mean, as a, a fellow Garland believer, I believe like you and I were among the founders of Garland Island. Oh yeah! Like how we, much we, is... we were we were uh, staking out a lot of real estate. We were uh, sprucing up the place because we we knew that it was going to be invaded at some point. But well, you... we knew, but like I mean, did we know? Like, were we worried <laughs> at various points along the way? Because I loved the way he moved on the floor and was confident that eventually some of the other stuff would come and and part of it was like he needed to be healthy um and he he needed to get more aggressive as a shooter yeah but when he started the season slow and then had like an injury early on yeah. I was like, oh boy. R- rolled his ankle it. within three minutes against Memphis. Like that that was just the worst possible start. Like I, I don't think enough has been made of just how bad, like, even though the Cavs played well in, in that stretch, like the fact that Garland missed games two and three of the season, Okoro got hurt, Love and Lowry got COVID early on. Like when, when people talk about the, the Cavs uh taking off and- after Sexton got hurt. That's one, not true, because the winning percentage is basically the same. And two, it also ignores that they lost basically their entire rotation at, at various points in those really first 11 games. Difficult schedule like that whole yeah. stretch. It was like, well, they may be screwed by the time Garland gets back. And I was coming in like riding high off of, you know, Steph Curry hype over the summer, like saying Garland is like the the. Uh, the star poised for a breakout or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I was really believing. And then I suddenly like he got hurt and I was like, Oh man, like if he, if it doesn't happen this year, it might be time to abandon Garland Island. And then he gave a little faith up. <laughs> I know. I know, man, it's I- great. I, I was a complete zealot because I, I was so convinced that this could come that, 
it was going to shake my confidence as someone that can evaluate basketball talent if this didn't work out. But yeah. I, I think one thing that I really like, and it's fitting that it's contrasted with Zion like in his draft class, is the fact that he's really stepped up as a leader. Like uh, when Evan Mobley went on the road tripping podcast at the start of the season, he said after he was drafted, the f- like one of the first calls he got was Garland and Garland was forcing him to hang out and kind of getting him out of his comfort zone and spending time with him. And he said, we've like already close grown into being really close friends off the court. Karis Levert, when he got traded to the Cavs, first call Garland. Like he he's always that yeah. guy that's reaching out that, that seems to be really liked around uh, by players around the league. Like you look at All Star Weekend and these guys are all going up to him and talking to him and uh, they they play the Spurs and Dejounte Murray and him are hugging it out for like an hour after the game and like he just seems to be one of those guys that people gravitate to. And I, I think that's like that's what you want in a floor general. Like he might not be. Th- in the final version of this Cavs team, he might not be the best player on the team, but Mm -hmm. I have such confidence that he can fit with just about anybody in the league because of his ability to play on and off the ball. And there's a lot of parallels to Steph there, right? Where it just feels very scalable that uh, from a team building perspective, having someone with the the versatility that he has with the temperament that he has, like, I, I just feel it opens a lot of doors to just go out and acquire the best talent that's available because I have confidence that he's going to be able to make that work. Yeah. It, it, and that is the ultimate compliment that you could trade for any other guard next to him and feel confident that Garland will be able to thrive either on or off the ball and and the personality stuff and the intangible stuff. That's sort of what I was alluding to earlier, where it's like, you could tell his teammates love him and really look to him as like the leader on the floor. Um, And that's a big deal because that's one where a it's impossible to tell whether that's there or not when you're in the middle of some of the hopeless seasons that the Cavs have had in years past but as they're playing games that actually matter and they look at Garland and, and take him seriously as a leader and trust him, um, that's a really encouraging sign and makes me pretty excited about what this could turn into. You mentioned Zion. I had a completely ridiculous hypothetical to throw at you. Okay. Would you ever consider a Jared Allen plus all your assets plus Karis Levert trade for Zion. I would not. I really like I am when you have a foundation like this, like the three guys I have confidence in, I am no longer feeling like you need to take a risky swing. Like I I felt Mm -hmm. totally different about the prospect of adding Ben Simmons at the start of the year when you're trying to find, okay, well, like what are the foundational pieces? Maybe we, we need to go take a gamble to bring in a high upside star. I don't feel that way anymore where you have to take that kind of a risk. I didn't feel great about his body coming into the year. And I, I kind of feel like, Everyone has talked about the, oh, does he want to go to the Knicks? Does he want to New Orleans stuff? Like, I, I feel there's probably valid reasons to that. But I also feel like that is a coping mechanism by NBA fans to just kind of ignore the fact that his body's been betraying him. And this is mm-hmm. like a consistent trend. Like, it's too depressing to say, oh, or it's easier to just say, 
he wants to out of New Orleans and that's why this is all happening. When in reality, I, I think there's legitimate health concerns there. And I, I don't have a ton of confidence about his ability to stay on the court because every time he does get hurt, just because of his size, like it, it takes him a while to get back into shape and uh, getting into the shape and rehabbing like that takes a toll on the body. Like it's just I, I just don't have a lot of confidence in it. And I, I think when you have an identity that the Cavs have now of being yeah. like this strong defensive team that, uh, you know, the personalities mesh well, like Jared Allen's a low key guy that wants to be in Cleveland. He gets along with Mobley, he gets along with Garland. I, I just wouldn't kind of risk that kind of chemistry this early in the team building process. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a responsible take and probably the right take. Uh, and first and, of all, thank and you're God. going to go reckless with this, aren't you? No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> because I honestly don't know how I feel about Zion. I'm so glad that the Cavs didn't trade for Ben Simmons because there was the first like six weeks of the season. You could see that what the Cavs had was real. Mm-hmm. And then they would continue to be mentioned in the like Ben Simmons trade roundup articles from Shams and Woj. And like the ca- the Cavs would be one of like seven teams that were mentioned as potential suitors probably was never real, but like was just, it freaked me out. <laughs> like the, the I was, Cavs, the Cavs feel like a very convenient leverage team right now. Like for Ben Simmons, it would make sense that those type of rumors would be out there because they're an up and coming team that has so many assets outside of their core. Like it's believable that they could go out and get a disgruntled player. It made a lot of sense over the weekend for LeBron to kind of use the Cavs as a boogeyman and, and, and scare the Lakers into action and guarantee that he's getting a big round of applause in Cleveland. Like it's funny to see that the Cavs are like a plausible leverage team in trade talks because they there's an understanding that yeah like if someone does hit the market and the Cavs want to pull the trigger they probably have the assets available to make a competitive offer yeah well and and to me it was like are you guys watching the Cavs like why would you break this up to bring in <laughs> Simmons like have you watched Simmons for the last three years like he's not worth that kind of gamble and like there was real momentum and with the LeBron stuff I mean I definitely look at what they are building now and I just the odds that LeBron comes and it works and it's all worth it um feel pretty long to me right now and like the 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 LeBron return in 2015 like the Cavs lived the best possible version of Mm -hmm. that story and I just if I were like a diehard Cavs fan I would be like look we're always going to be grateful to LeBron but I don't want to do that again (laughs) and I'm really enjoying like what this team has turned into and let's see where it goes like I, I just have too much respect for the amount of experience it takes to go up there and win in the NBA. Like I, I don't think they're a LeBron away from winning a championship, and uh, I think that has to factor into any decision making if you're looking at a, a trade to give up your ability to trade future picks and, and that sort of thing. I, I just it doesn't feel worthwhile to me. Now, now that I have you separated from Ben, I do need to ask. Do you think Ben has any regrets about his hard Garland stance? Because Gulliver is not someone that is ever going to change his mind on a player. Like he's going Mm. to keep his take in place 
uh, he's done. I mean, if he's not going to change his mind for Joel Embiid, he's not going to change it for Darius Garland. But Garland <laughs> feels like such a Gulliver player. Do you think in the back of his mind he regrets uh, taking such an anti-Garland stance? Well, first of all, I think he will update his analysis he's already softened on garland it's been nice to see him evolve um ben simmons is a player who jumps to the forefront of my mind when i think of ben doing like 180s on guys it took him a while but eventually he was just like entirely out on simmons so Mm -hmm. i think garland what you would have to see from garland in order to see like a full-on 180 from grandpa gulliver you need the playoff success. I think mm. Devin Booker won over a lot of people with the playoff success. And now everyone's sort of made peace with the idea that he's like a perennial all NBA guy. Whereas last year, even as the Suns were winning like 55 games or whatever they actually won, everybody was looking at De- Devin Booker was like, I don't know, is he really an all star? Like, how much is he really contributing to winning? And like, yeah, I- I'm not sure if I put him in that elite tier of guards. And I mean, it was ridiculous at the time, but like, he had to go do it in the playoffs before he won everyone over. And Garland, I think is going to be a similar situation for whatever reason. He doesn't have the like, mass appeal among the nba intelligentsia that ja morant does mm-hmm. like ja is a great player in his own right i'm not here to hate on ja but when i think about like what wins at the highest level i do look at garland's skill set and i feel like he's gonna have a better chance to really excel uh whereas i think ja there may be a ceiling there it's the Chris Paul, Darren Williams thing, you know, long, long game. Gar- Garland is We're the, the Chris the Paul. Game. We have always been playing the long game, Justin. <laughs> I don't know where Carter has been on the Garland believer spectrum. He, there, there was a, a period of time where that man was very concerned that he was just going to be DJ Augustine, who the Cavs should add as a buyout player if that's an option. But mm. um, there, there, there was there was some doubt. There, there was definitely doubt there. And I was a, a big believer in the flashes. It, it was scary with Garland early on. He just looked so much smaller than everyone on the floor. Yeah. That I, I began to wonder like, well, I like his skills are great and should translate to a star level guard, but maybe he's just two inches too small to mm-hmm. really excel offensively. And um, thankfully after a few years here, he's, he's proven those doubts wrong, but um it, I don't know. It, it was fun. I, I should have bugged Oliver more. Uh, it, when I checked into to my hotel, the, the media hotel there for the weekend, after I left, the first person I saw in the hallway was Gulliver because he was getting on. He was staying on my floor. And I was like, absolutely. Yes. I'm like, oh, <laughs> of all the celebrities, of all the people I saw like that, that was the one that got me really excited because uh. I was talking to him and it's just the full Gulliver experience at all times. Like he comes across. Uh, like no one makes being a dick more endearing than Ben Gulliver. And I, 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 I cannot, I, I just appreciate it so much. It, it, he's just on all the time. And that, that was a lot of fun. So I'm, I'm interested to see how his Garland takes evolve because I, I feel like it takes more to earn his love and respect as a player than it does to hurt him. And I, I think that's what yeah. Ben Simmons was, was he, 
offended his basketball senses and sensibilities. <laughs> and that's not something that he will ever take lightly. Yeah, I, I think with Simmons, it was the complete refusal to address any of the weaknesses in his game for like five years in a row. Eventually, yeah. <laughs> Golliver just threw up his hands and was like, all right, I'm out. I'm not, yeah. I want no part of this stock. Um, and yes, I would say affable dickishness is mm-hmm. um, why our podcast works. It's yeah. definitely like he's <laughs> he can be kind of mean, but he's also hilarious and it's not mean spirited. Um, all of that is like crucial to the uh, the goat formula as far yeah. as I'm concerned. It, it's just so funny that the guy that gets up at 430 to experience sunsets and is spending all his free time in national parks and building Lego and all that good stuff is also a big city snob at times. Like (laughs) I I just don't know how to square one of those things with the other. Oh my God. I mean, don't ever get him started on New York city. That's one of his (laughs) least favorite places in the entire world. And I go to New York and I'm like, it's great to be here. Like I love a couple days in New York. There's nothing better. And Ben is just like, Oh my God, get me out of here. So, um, I, I, I like it at times, but that's a lot of people that, that is way more people than I ever need in one space. Yeah. And it would definitely be kind of brutal to live in New York. Um, so it's a great place to visit. I feel the same way about Los Angeles. Great place to visit. Living there is inconvenient for a bunch of different reasons. But um, yeah, now we're, we're far afield here. But I, <laughs> no I'm, I'm curious, talking all star, what was your favorite part of that experience? I'm sure it was pretty wild to, to go through all of it and go through all of it in Cleveland. It, it was, uh, I, I mean, just the the reception from kind of the fans and people around Cleveland was really cool. Like the fact that we get recognized, I, I think it helps that we're on YouTube every now and then and people know what we look like. But uh, that was really cool. But just also the how surreal it was that like the storybook calves just hit every narrative standpoint like it doesn't matter if it's rising stars or skills competition or the game itself with jared allen making joel and bead work and yeah garland playing well like every single event they were in they won and you kind of got that signature moment whether it's evan mobley fulfilling his chris bosch role of hitting the half court shot uh bosch used to be the half court expert in in, in the uh the skills contest so that that was all just so much damn fun so that uh was definitely cool to see yeah i mean it's pretty wild that it has all worked out as well as it has for the Cavs, and it, it all coincided with that weekend i'm glad that like garland and mobley got a chance to be celebrated and jared allen with his um where was his where was his outfit from it was like old navy or something i, I, <laughs> like... I don't know but i i felt personally attacked by people dragging that outfit because that oh my is God, my signature yeah. look like what what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> it's like a good like adult casual look i i felt bad for jared allen for the exact same reasons and unfortunately i think the reality is that like the three of us are not that cool mm-hmm. but all of it just makes Jared Allen more endearing. So, well, once again, like I, I and when you talk about the Zion, I, I won't call it a possibility, but like that hypothetical, it does seem like the Cavs have really emphasized bringing in a certain type of player, right? Like someone that they mm-hmm. feel confident will want to be a part of the Cavs culture, be there long term. And Jared Allen, Garland, Okoro, Sexton, Mobley, like they're all these low key guys that get along so well with one another. 
And I, I just think that that's such a special kind of thing to to put together. And that has to be part of the decision making when you're looking at who to acquire. And part of why I have long pined for guys like Brandon Ingram, who's also a pretty low key guy or Jalen yeah. Brown or DeJounte Murray. And again, it, it's one of those things where the benefit of having Garland is when you're looking to add players like you're never going to get a perfect option on the trade market, right? Like, or, or in free agency, you're going to have to make some compromises. And I think they're in a good position that if the best player available for a consolidation type move is a point guard or like a big point guard, they can probably do that because you've already seen proof of concept that Garland worked alongside Ricky Rubio, even though he wasn't shooting well from three, even though he wasn't finishing well at the rim, just having that ball handler worked. So if mm-hmm. you if the best available player is a point guard, you can do that. If it's a shooting guard, you obviously feel great about that. If it's a small forward, perfect. That that that's the the dream scenario. But I do think that there's just so much flexibility with this Cavs core that it opens up a lot of interesting options. Even if it's a big shooting guard that normally can't play small forward, you probably feel good about it with Mobley and Allen because they managed to make Lowry work at small forward. Yeah, and that's why I was asking about Zion to put all my cards on the table. There's a little voice in the back of my head that says, in the same way that Garland affords you flexibility in the backcourt, Mobley, the best version of him, is going to be so good defensively that you can get away with guys who would kill other teams' defenses. And Zion, in addition to all the injuries... The reason I wouldn't want to trade for him if I were almost any other team that had like viable alternatives um, is because like it's just going to be so hard to build a really good defense around him that like I just don't know if it's going to be worth like five to seven years of team building. If, if A, you can't count on him to stay healthy and B, if you don't have a big man who's good on defense, like that puts a ceiling on what you can accomplish as a team. Now, Mobley is so good, though, that you could slide him at the five and put Zion next to him, and maybe you get away with it, and maybe yeah. that's the way forward. If, um, if he played some defense to this point in his career, because he was supposed to be such a great defensive player, um, yeah. and, and that that might be a boomer-ass take there, <laughs> but uh, like, it, he just hasn't been the it's kind of player that I thought he would be. He's been. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like watching him at Duke, he was like Draymond-ish on defense, the way he flew all over the floor. He could guard multiple positions. He was a shot blocker. Like, there was a lot to get excited about that side of the floor with Zion, and that side of the floor has been, like, a a complete zero through the first few years (laughs) of his career. And really, like, he's taking things off the table down in New Orleans. And so, yeah, I think... You had the right responsible answer on that one. The Cavs mm-hmm. have too many good things going for them right now. Trading for Zion would be crazy. And unfortunately, I think Ingram, uh, another of my favorites. I, I don't see that being good. possible. I, I don't see him or Jalen being possible. I, my, my one like crazy trade machine type thing with Jalen would be if Boston ever did want to pull the Bradley Beal uh, deal off. I think Mm. the Cavs could send a lot of assets to Washington instead and then get Jalen in. Uh, That that would be my dream scenario. But I I just I I think adding Derek White uh, was such a savvy move for Boston. It sets them up to actually do proper team building around uh, Jalen and and Jason. So actually, that kind of ties into the question I want to ask you. 
I want to get your power rankings of the, the kind of your top five in the Eastern Conference because I I think there there's such a like a shift after this trade deadline. Obviously, big names shifting around. Boston's playing really well. Milwaukee looks a little shaky. Kind of want to get your sense of who you actually have confidence in going into the playoffs. Mm, it's a really tough question right now, uh, and. There, I mean, there's so many variables starting with Garland. Like, mm-hmm. if Garland is going to be healthy and, um, is like, and not just healthy, like, he's going to play, but yeah. like, I want him at like a hundred percent. And I don't know whether it's going to be possible to see that version of Garland, uh, on a regular basis over the next couple of months. So the Cavs are not in my top five because mm-hmm. of that variable now yeah. if you, if you I, I wouldn't have them in mind right now anyways yeah, and you, either it's hard uh because I, I i was just about ready to put them in that tier like a couple weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. like i think after their win over milwaukee i was looking at them and thinking you know what they are gonna be a huge pain in the ass to match up with no matter who they end up playing in the playoffs and like we need to take this Cavs team seriously this year and I, I i'm not sure that's true if um garland isn't going to be like cranking on all cylinders so yeah that aside top five i really like the heat mm-hmm. and it's gonna be hard to pick anyone but miami to come out of the east as crazy as that sounds they've no, been kind I'm, of I'm, like, I'm on the same boat man like I, I feel like they have such a coaching advantage over the rest of the like the top five in the eastern conference like think spo is considerably better than doc or uh budenholzer or Ime. like i i just i i have so much confidence in spo and I, that team has so much experience as well yeah are are you confident in tyler harrow not really um mm. i just don't know how good he needs to be like i i i think bam is so good lowry's good butler's good and I, I just feel like they're going to have enough either way. Uh, they they might need Hero to go off in a series or two, and I, I think that's probably the right role for him. Um, yeah. and, and that's the role he's in. So uh, I, even though I'm I'm not the biggest Hero fan on the planet, like he's been legitimately good this season. And uh, with Kevin Love dropping off recently, I, I think that's probably locking up six man of the year for Hero. Yeah, and I, I to me, I think Jimmy Butler isn't quite as good as people think, and Tyler Harrow is a little bit better than people think, mm-hmm. and the Miami ceiling is contingent upon Harrow, and uh, I, I do believe that he can be like the scorer they need off the bench, and in the mid-range at the end of games, like he's going to be pretty valuable for them, or if it doesn't come from Hero, then they're probably screwed, because I, I don't know if Jimmy still has it in him to like carry a playoff offense for three or four rounds um and bam i'm not sure he's is there yet either so in any event the heat are number one for me the bucks probably should be number one but i don't know i mean where are you at on milwaukee right now i have so much confidence in in their big three and i feel like middleton is probably coasting if he's not coasting and this is just an olympic hangover i think they're probably going to be a second round out um, hmm. but if a Baca can have some life or maybe Lopez comes back and, and those guys are, are clicking all cylinders, I, I think Milwaukee's going to be fine. I'd probably put them number two. Uh, and some of that is just, and, and I, 
some of this comes from Cavs fans year past perspective. Uh, when you're the defending champs, I will give you the benefit of the doubt that you can flip the switch. And yeah. I, I think that that is a team that is probably understanding what it takes to get to a championship. Now they have that experience. They've, they've been through multiple playoff runs and uh, I, I just, I have a level of confidence in there. And, and Giannis is, I mean, he's freaking Giannis. Like I, I think he's probably the, the best player in the league right now. Um, Embiid, I would give the MVP to this year, but I, I yeah. still think Giannis is probably the best player in the league. Giannis is so good, and it hurts me to pick, uh, you know, Miami above Giannis. Uh, but I do think, even a- as dominant as Giannis was last year, they still needed needed Middleton to come through and hit like Hall of Fame type daggers for them uh, on right. several different occasions, and like. And, and Bud, Bud still hasn't won me over. I'm I'm still a Bud skeptic. I am too. I am too. Watching Saturday night, Bud versus the Nets down the stretch. I'm like, ugh, you really ran a play to get Bobby Portis a corner three. That, that was two. not an encouraging game for Milwaukee. That that <sighs> that 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 definitely has influenced my this conversation a little bit for me. Like I, I, some skepticisms creeping in but at the end of the day i'm I'm still going to give them the benefit of the doubt oh, partly is some of this also has to do with the fact i just don't necessarily trust a lot of these other teams like philadelphia i think is very good but big game james man like i i I, I think you you and I are in the same boat where we have more concerns about harden sinking that ship in the playoffs than truly leading them to a title yeah, I mean, I have to go watch the second half of Nick Sixers uh, <laughs> later this afternoon. And Living so the dream. I'll have a more definitive Harden on the Sixers take then. But for now, I do not buy the Sixers as like legit contenders out of the East. I think Harden... In, in related been... news, uh, the Knicks are only down two. In, in the oh, third. <laughs> there you go. Well, I mean, look, Harden has been a fraud year after year after year after year in the playoffs. And everyone's like, oh, they're going to generate so many free throws. Well, guess what? That number is going to be cut in half when the playoffs start. And they're going to yeah. have to figure out how to work together in the half court. And I, I just think it's it's more complicated um, in reality than it seems like it would be when you look at these guys on paper. And uh, and Bede's health is also a reason to be a little cautious before, like, buying all the way in on that team so yeah my third team think i'm gonna go with the brooklyn nets which is crazy but man oh man put kevin durant back in there and if they get the seventh seed and end up with the bulls in the first round i see them winning that series and then like they're as scary as anybody and you know what's crazy about the nets Andre Drummond, Cavs fans know better than anybody. <laughs> I'm, not- I'm, I'm still a believer in Drummond helping. I, I think Curry and Drummond going to Brooklyn legitimately made a big difference. And all the credit in the world to Kevin Durant to understand that he can't win without Curry and going out and getting him. Yeah, no kidding, man. Uh, and <laughs> Drummond, I'm toying with this take. He may be more valuable than Ben Simmons in Brooklyn. <laughs> and... <laughs> It could actually tip the scales in the East. Uh, As a take connoisseur, I, I appreciate I appreciate what you're doing there. I, I don't know if I'll go that far, but I, I do think he makes a legitimate difference. Like you look at that game against Milwaukee and, and he like he is capable of contributing. He, he is yeah. someone that can put up significant numbers. And 
uh, at least like just his physical presence is something that you have to deal with. So I think Curry and, and Irving work really well together. I think Drummond helps a lot. And if you're getting anything out of Simmons, like you're you're probably in pretty good shape. I, if I'm the Nets, I'd probably wish I had Joe Harris and I would feel a little bit better. But at the end of the day, it's Kevin Durant with that amount of help. I, I think they are as scary as anybody in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, well, and Cavs fans are some of the only people in the NBA intelligentsia who still have respect for Kyrie Irving and respect for what Kyrie could do in the playoffs. And that's another factor that I wouldn't discount with Brooklyn. Yep. Like, they're a team that's going to be a handful in a in a seven-game series. Um, and it's a difficult line for me to walk because I'm such a Simmons hater that like I'm not gonna <laughs> factor him into any of this but there, I there's think... so little he has to do though like that's that's the thing that jumps out to me where I, I think this is the perfect situation for him because the conversation is always going to be on Durant and Irving right like it's yeah. it's it, some people might scapegoat him to some extent but I, I think he's in an ideal situation for him yeah, uh, I, I agree. This is the if he's going to succeed anywhere, it's going to be a situation like this. And I'm not sure there was another situation like this across the league. So um, against all odds, the Rich Paul power play worked out great for Ben Simmons. Uh, it, the fourth team would be the Boston Celtics. Oh, Philly. Are, the, yeah, I, I, Philly. I'm, I'm liking the Sixers hate. Uh, I'm, I'm liking it. <laughs> I'm sorry. They are going to get I, I wouldn't do it. I, I would put Philly over Boston, but I, I'm I'm appreciative of the of the the art of the take here. I, I can't help it. I just do not have faith in Philly once the playoffs get here. And the Celtics are another team that is going to be a handful when you get to the playoffs. The question with them is: Do you believe in Jason Tatum? I'm not sure. I do. Wow. Um, I mean, I don't know. Where, where are you? 10 time Tatum slander here like uh <laughs> that's 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 unbelievable I I still think Boston is like a real point guard away um from competing and the part of what I I like getting Derek White is I think it sets them up in the future to you know like trade Marcus Smart and some first round picks and get it someone that can actually distribute and I, I yeah. think White fits really well alongside that and uh Robert Williams I, I think is a really good player like there's just a few too many questions at the point guard and center position for them, but I, I do think that they're legitimate. And I, I was confident in the past that the Cavs could beat Boston in a series. I'm no longer feeling that confident because I, I just think they're that disruptive defensively. And yeah. when you look at kind of the unknowns from a playmaking perspective with the Cavs, um, so I'm not I'm not feeling too too great about that matchup anymore. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I would pick the Celtics in a Celtics Cavs series. And with Tatum, I think what I mean is like, obviously he's an all-star and I would say he's probably an all NBA type guy as well at this point. But like what the question I have going forward is, you know how they say like you need one of the top seven or eight guys to have a real shot at a title. Yeah. Is Tatum going to be one of those top seven or eight guys? And is he that dominant? And um, I think it's still an open question at this point. Yeah. I, I don't know if I even have a strong take one or one way or the other on that. Like it's, I guess it remains to be seen. I, I, I definitely think he's someone you can win with in the right situation. I just, Boston is just, 
they're a weird team because they're, yeah. they're very good. There's things that they, they do well, but I, I just don't know if they have that guy that is the guy. And I, I don't know what easy route there is for that. So am I safe assuming that your number five is Philly? The, the number five is Philly. And, okay. and then I have a question for you. Of those five teams, which would you want the Cavs to play in a first round series? Oh my God. Ah. Uh, I don't think there's a great answer because, like, I don't want to play against Embiid. <laughs> I mm. don't want to play against Giannis. I, I, I think I'd actually like to see Milwaukee um, if I had to pick one of those five because there wouldn't be the expectations that the Cavs could pull off an upset, but it, it would be, like, just a really interesting measuring stick series. Um, I think Miami, depending on kind of how, how, how things go for them the rest of the season, I, I think that would be be if you're like looking to win a series as much as I have a ton of confidence in them. Uh, I do think that the Cavs are kind of uniquely suited to bother them with their length and kind of what they can do to limit Bam. Um, I, I don't know. Boston's the least intimidating, but at the same time, just their their defense kind of freaks me out. So I was actually yeah. going to ask you, if you were the Cavs, would you rather like fall to six and play Chicago in the first round? Or would you rather have be the four seed and play either Boston or Toronto in the mm. four or five matchup? Like, would you punt on home court just to give yourself a chance to play Chicago? Because to me, <laughs> Chicago is the, the team that stands out. Chicago and Toronto are the two teams that I am like holding on to hope that it's winnable. We, we we can do that. We can do that. There's still some demons in Toronto and I, I Toronto's looked a little shaky. I think they've lost their last two games by like a combined 70 points or, or something to, to that effect. Uh, yeah. I, I feel like Chicago and, and Toronto are the two teams with uh, the, the most areas that the Cavs can exploit. Oh man. I mean, the reason I was laughing as you were explaining that is because like Chicago is taking so much disrespect from all these different fans imagining their playoff scenarios. Like on the last goat podcast, Ben and I were talking about the East playoff picture and the bulls were still the first seed at this point. And Mm -hmm. I was like, do you think the Nets would tank their opening play in game <laughs> to get a matchup with the Bulls? And it's like, I, it's not necessarily disrespect to the Bulls as much as it's like a reflection of how rock solid the Heat and the Bucks and the Sixers even. Like all those teams are going to be scary as hell. And the Bulls, like, they have Vooch. no they have no play they have no positive playoff experiences how I should frame it because DeRozan has been historically bad there Vucevic uh, I mean he not exactly yeah. someone that moves the needle in the playoffs Ball Levine Car- uh, well Caruso's had experience but you know uh out of these options they seem the most vulnerable but they're a really good team DeRozan is in the MVP conversation like there is no real weak link in the Eastern Conference and even if you're in the play in like uh, you lose that first game in the play-in and you have to play one of Atlanta or Charlotte. Like if Charlotte goes off in a one-game setting and scores 150 points, I could see them beating a Toronto or uh, if things go really poorly, Brooklyn. Like uh, I, totally. I, in a one-game one game setting, I, I think they can get enough firepower up if it's just a bad game. Like, let's say uh, Simmons never really integrates and he's not playing well. Kyrie has an off night or, or Durant doesn't have an off night. Like, 
I would not pick them. I would say there's like a 99% chance, but I could see them putting up that number of points. They've been one of the most explosive teams in the league on certain nights. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope that Billy Donovan has some video coordinator putting together like an eight-hour supercut of different podcasts disrespecting oh, yeah. the Bulls over yeah, the yeah. last six weeks <laughs> and certainly the next six weeks. I mean, nobody expects anything from the Bulls. Um, my answer to your original question, though, uh, I would want to play the Raptors first if I were the Cavs. So Raptors wherever, in a four or five. Okay. Yeah, wherever I have to be to make that happen, I would I would seek out the Raptors and the Bulls. Um, it, you know, if if you sink down to sixth and end up with the Bulls, I think that's a great outcome as well. They're going to have to fight hard to stay out of the seven and eight spot here. Um, and they, I mean, especially as some of these other teams in the East come together, like mm-hmm. they're going to have their work cut out for them. Uh, but like I said at the top, as far as I'm concerned, there are no bad outcomes for this Cavs season, given what we've seen thus far. The Bucks would be an interesting measuring stick for Mobley and Allen and what that front court can do going forward. I'll tell you this much. My friend, uh, Ben Thompson, a Bucks maniac. A legend he, in the Twitter streets. Yeah, and he's pretty freaked out by what the Cavs' length can do to the Bucks' offense. I mean, obviously, Bucks enter that series. They're going to be favored, and they'll almost certainly win. But I, I do think the Cavs can make it more interesting than a lot of people would expect. It's funny you say that because I, I actually talked to Ben. Uh, we were DMing, DMing back and forth, and, and he was basically saying it feels like an inverse of Cavs Bucks in the past, where like Cavs fans were like, "Hey, this Milwaukee team's up and coming." We see like how this can be really bothersome. I remember being nervous about like Giannis on LeBron and Middleton on Kyrie. Like, what what could that team do? And thank God Eric Bledsoe was around to to tank those teams in the past. Mm. But uh, it's nice to see kind of the the circle of life where uh, Milwaukee fans are are taking the Cavs seriously and are worried about the long term future there. Uh, I don't think I'm betraying any confidences here. But uh, my buddy uh, Giancarlo Navas uh, from the Heat beat was saying Cavs are like one of the teams he doesn't want to see Miami play because he's worried about what they can do to neutralize Bam and, and kind of mm. what the Cavs' length can do. So um, I give both those teams a nod. But it, it's nice. It's nice to at least hear that kind of praise because it's it's not about this year for the Cavs. Like you look back at last year and they were in that playing hunt and just lost a bunch of those games and. Uh, I, I still think that was positive experience. It sure didn't stop Garland and Allen from making the leap. I, yeah. I think they're better suited now to go out and be competitive. I mean, you look at the one to two week timeline for Karis Laverne and one week, I'm, I'm hoping it's one week because one week means that he might be back for Charlotte, which would be great. But uh, if they can get healthy down the stretch, these like two games they have against Toronto two like the games against Chicago, uh, Milwaukee, like uh, Philadelphia, three games against Philly. Like those are really going to be important for the play in because not only for just how much it counts in the stand, Endings, but uh-huh. you win another game against Toronto, you have the tiebreaker on them for the, the season because you're 2-0 and against them for the regular season. So that puts a, a good amount of space if you win those games against Toronto and avoiding the play-in and maybe limiting your worst-case scenario to be in the sixth seed. Well, and my request at the end of this podcast is 
over the next like month or so as things get stressful and you take some rough losses and fans start lashing out on Twitter, you need to be the voice of the fan base and remind people that it could be worse and you could be the Washington Wizards. Okay? <laughs> You've got like heat writers and Bucks Twitter people reaching out being like, I don't know if we want to play the Cavs. Like what an incredible place to be. The Wizards yeah. rebuild is still like, I would say probably four years away from hitting that point. I mean, the Wizards don't even realize they're rebuilding at this mm -hmm. point. So like there's several different stages we need to get through to get to where the Cavs are. And you guys are at like ground zero of what could turn into a pretty cool era here. I was already excited about Garland and throwing Mobley in the mix really oh, takes it to the next so level. Hard. It's just going to be awesome. And so don't let any grumpy fans um, lose sight of how cool this is. Yeah, I, I, that's basically where I'm at. Like, I'm disappointed with some of these individual games, and I don't want to let this team off the hook and be like, well, they're just missing their guards. I think the guys they have, are more than capable of winning games against Detroit and Washington and maybe even Minnesota. I, I hope Garland's back from Minnesota. We'll keep our fingers crossed. I was checking my score app and it said it was a game time decision not ruled out yet. So hoping hey. that remains the case. Um, but if they make their path a little more difficult down the stretch, I still think that's really valuable experience. And I, I don't think anything that occurs the rest of the season changes the long-term outlook of this team. So uh, it's a good place to be in. They've earned some elevated expectations and we'll see if they rise to the occasion. I mean, I, I think one of the worst things about kind of the debate culture that's uh, infiltrated sports is we've made winning and losing like a character flaw where it's mm. like, Oh, they, they lose because they just don't have winner mentality and all that where I mean, you look historically, you keep failing, you keep failing until you like uh, eventually break through and, and make adjustments through internal development. I mean, the Cavs didn't make a lot of personnel changes uh, coming into this season. A lot of this came from internal growth and as good as Evan Mobley's been, him kind of connecting the dots and, and filling in uh, certain lineups wouldn't be as impactful if Darius Garland and, and Jared Allen didn't make the leaps that they made. So I, I still think they're in a very, very good position moving forward, uh, no matter what happens this season. Yeah, it, it's going to be really exciting to watch them grow together. And there's something, you know, in the new NBA, that everyone is so transaction obsessed that yeah. they're constantly trying to like add additional pieces. And granted, I've had conversations with you where I'm like, the Cavs need to put everything on the table to get Brandon Ingram and whatever. Yeah. But like <laughs> at the same time, um, it's cool to see a couple young guys who love being where they are and are excited to grow up together and to, to watch that come together over the next few years is going to be very exciting. Absolutely. I mean, there's just not a lot of winning in the NBA before you're like 25, 26. Like it just doesn't <laughs> happen. So uh, what they do over these next couple of years and the way that they learn and adjust from failures is going to be really interesting. But uh, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on, man. It's always so much fun to get to shoot the shit with you and, and talk about the Cavs. And uh, I, I was hopeful that this would be coming off a big Garland game and we could just celebrate it. But I, <laughs> I, I do think getting kind of the outsider's perspective as we're kind of in this weird little unknown period for the Cavs where, where guys are out of the lineup. I, I do think that there's definitely a value to that.
Yeah, man. Well, we'll have to do another State of the Cavs podcast. Maybe after free agency, I can come back on and we can assess where we are and where things are headed. Hopefully, we can get Carter back in the mix for that. But yeah, that guy just you know, always he's always bailing. Like he thinks his day job is so important, Make, <laughs> making money, supporting his family. Like it's just who does this guy think he is? This is why he's only a part-time resident on Garland Island, and yeah, you know, it's true. we will allow him to hang out time and again. But um, he, he's got an anchored yacht just off the coast. Garland Island where he just kind of stays <laughs> actually hang on before I get you out because you are a lawyer I need to ask does Kevin love blocking Thomas Bryan into the floor nullify his contract does that like trigger the amnesty clause what happens there because that, that was um, one wild play I will tell you this much I am so tired of watching Thomas Bryan <laughs> for the Wizards <laughs> that I hope it nullifies the contract. I'd have to examine the language to give you a definitive answer. But like, I would love to take four or five hours and find a way for the Wizards to get out of the Thomas Bryant contract. So, <laughs> um, yes, I, I, I hope that uh, Kevin Love blocked him out of the NBA for, on, <laughs> on behalf of all Wizards fans. I could not believe him getting up and just kind of guiding him to the floor through the ball. That was, <laughs> that was certainly something. But, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on. To all our listeners, make sure you're checking out the greatest of all talk. The GOAT pod is the GOAT for a reason. I love listening to you and Ben. I don't miss an episode. And as I said, it's the only podcast I pay for. So uh, thank you so much uh, to all our listeners. If you're listening to this via podcast, make sure you leave a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, you can send a screenshot of that review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you guys choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. And until next time, go Cavs. <laughs>